We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a First I was afraid, I was petrified Kept picturing Shodran Mustafi trying to play offside But then Raul went fucking nuts and took Stan's money down the lill And now we've got Nicola Pepe and he's dressed to fucking kill But we're still stuck in outer space It's also known as the Europa League Cause we finished in fifth place We shit the bed out in Baku And lost at home to Palace too We may not have any defenders But here's what we're gonna do Oh, we'll go Go out and score Just think of all the pens we're getting When Pepe's on the floor Your defense doesn't stand a chance We went and raised the fucking bar And even Mike Dean cannot screw us Cause we're living for the VAR Oh no, now I I will survive Oh, as long as we score Five or six, then we could be alright We should've bought a center back Or maybe sold off Mustafi But Raul's got the Bluetons And so we could still get Tyrannia This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. And wasn't that fun? No? Well, you can't take it back, can you? 
We're going to have fun after it, though. That's what counts. Look, if you can't get silly and excited for Nicholas Pepe breaking our all-time transfer record, arriving, adding to the attack with absolutely no fucks given about the defense, then what can you get excited about? I'll tell you what I can get excited about. Three very sexy voices on the other end of this microphone. One is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! One is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. One is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Clive, great job on the Ars, uh, Ars cast. Great job. Thank you. Great Thank job you carrying the banner, the Arsenal Vision banner, over to the Ars cast. Did you, like, plant a bug over there so we can, like, listen into what they're doing or, you know, like, booby trap it or anything? You know, like like an inside job? No? I don't know. He's such a nice guy, though, isn't he? Right? He's easy. Yeah, easy to Frighteningly talk. nice. Easy to talk. I had the chance He's to actually... Irish. I met him IRL. Uh, they say never meet your heroes or your podcaster heroes. Um, met him IRL in LA, obviously. And it was great. Just a great time. And it, it like... It makes me regret all of the the times I stuck the pin in the in the doll. You know what I mean? Like trying to give him laryngitis and stuff. But no, no, great, great job on the Ars cast. Great Ars cast as always. Um, really enjoyed it. So we have so much to talk about. Uh, even though I feel like we've already done it. So look, just real quick housekeeping. We're gonna do this podcast. We'll do another one after the Barcelona game, which there is no human way to watch, as far as I'm aware. But uh, if you want Pepe content, there's a podcast of Paul and I doing initial reactions to the rumor breaking that Pepe's coming, so a big, long Patreon pod for that. There's a Patreon pod of uh, Mohammed from Statsbomb doing a detailed scouting breakdown of our squad as a whole, but really what Pepe adds to the squad. There is a YouTube show that uh, Scott and I did that's free for everybody that talks a lot about Pepe's arrival. So all kinds of stuff over there if you're interested. If you're not, don't worry. We're doing plenty of it over here. So whichever way you like to listen, uh, we're just thrilled to have you here and thrilled to have something good to talk about. Tim, I want to do something for... Uh, two seconds. Can we just do something for two seconds real quick? There's a sure. rumor breaking that uh, we were trying to get Coutinho on loan. And I, I loved what you talked about off mic. So in like two seconds, what do you think of that? Burn it with fire. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really, really hope it's just Barcelona trying to shift him off to some other unsuspecting suckers. Yeah, yeah, and I, I totally agree. I, I know all your reasons why we don't need to d- dive deep into it. I think it's also worth mentioning, when you look at the value of a pound these days, and I don't mean to depress anybody about the economics of that, um, we have spent less getting Nicolas Pepe, a young, up-and-coming, dynamic, goal-scoring, assist-providing winger for the future uh, than Manchester United have paid for what appears to be one of the Easter Island statues. Um also known as Harry Maguire. I get it. He's English. He's a center back. And, oh, we need one of those. But we don't need an average one, a mediocre one. And, gosh, your money gets you mediocrity these days, doesn't it? Especially if you're Manchester United. Long may it continue. I just think it is a tremendous reminder of how sharp we were to go get a Saliba instead of how maybe getting a mediocre loan center back or just something this year, rather than blowing what could have been Pepe money on something like Maguire, which I think maybe incrementally makes them better at best. I think it's just sensible, smart work. But we got we to gotta talk Pepe. It is the news of the day, and I, I think it's the most important uh, thing that's happened at the club in terms of incoming business in a long time. Aubameyang was very exciting, one of my favorite players, but a player that I think we knew you know, in prime, late prime, you know you're getting him maybe as the wave is cresting, although it doesn't appear that way on the pitch. Alexis was exciting. I, I put this maybe just behind Ozil and ahead of the Alexis Aubameyang signings in terms of the, the way I feel about it and what it means for the club. Tim, let's focus on this first, though. Obviously, this summer started with a lot of antipathy between the fans and ownership. I'm not saying that that is gone because of a signing. There were concerns mm. about parsimony, concerns about where the money's going, 
um, how it's being spent, whether there's any you know real organization behind the scenes. Adu wasn't going to be in until midsummer. I said some things about Raul that I maybe wish I hadn't. Um, in the context of the way the summer started, do you think that the fan base owes Raul and maybe even ownership a little bit of a reconsideration in terms of what the plan is and, and the desire to compete? No, not quite yet, <clears throat> because um, I, I don't think the, the concern was ever funds, as it were. I think it was how those funds were spent. And we're still not going to see that until um, the players actually play, etc., etc. I, I wrote a piece earlier in the summer saying, like, getting your, you know, we all understand the model that, Stan's not really involved and he appoints a highly paid executive team to kind of do the running of the club for him. And, you know, we've been through this the whole when the last structure was falling apart, he wasn't really anywhere near it and probably not on top of it enough. Although that's maybe a bit of a simplification simplification because there were other political things like a very long term manager. Um, However, I think there is a sense of, of of trial and error when it comes to putting an exec team together, and we, you know, we, we're still seeing how uh, how this one will turn out, and we, we won't really know for a couple of years yet. I think I think what I was thinking about earlier, kind of on my way to work, I, w- I was like reflecting on say uh, John Henry at Liverpool, and I was I was kind of thinking like what what makes him a better owner and i was thinking about liverpool's last day or the time he's been at liverpool and they haven't got everything right in the time he's been there it it took quite a while and they started doing this kind of transfer committee stuff and it it kind of spat out andy carroll and charlie adam and Stuart downing and players like that and it and you know they paid massive amounts of money for Marmaduke Sacco and and players like that, you know, who you just kind of thought, really? And so it took them a little while to get things right. So I'm not, you know, I I was just thinking of like the small margins that make a really bad owner or an average owner a good owner. Now, I I still think we fundamentally got the same issue with Stan Kroenke. He's not going to be any more engaged. What we have to hope is that this executive team actually knows what it's doing because, um, you know, we have good reason to doubt that the ownership won't really hold them to account until it's too late. And we've had some shenanigans already where the executive team we tried to put in place last summer um, kind of fell apart quite quickly. Um, But I guess you could say the fact that that was kind of killed with fire early on and another one was put in. Perhaps that's evidence that, you know, they won't just let things run and run. Um, I I think that, first of all, we've just got to hope that like Raul Sanyehi and Edu, like running the football side and Vinay running the finance side is a good mix. Um, And the, the other hope, I guess, is that Josh is more switched on than Stan. And, you know, from what we hear, Josh spends a bit more time. Well, that's not difficult, really. That's a very low bar. But, you know, is it Colney occasionally and, you know, asking these kind of questions? And that's that's another thing we can hope for. I, I guess I'd say not not to really like temper um, the Pepe stuff too much. You know, we have we, we've done really well to get that deal in installments and everything, but that is going to have an impact down the line. That is literally a debt we've taken on that we have to pay. Um, maybe not 
un- dissimilar to like the Emirates Stadium debt, just like far less of it and in a shorter period of time. That's effectively, you know, if we're paying it over five years and it's 72 million, that's, you know, just over 14 million a summer, uh, you know, using very crude figures. So that's 14 million every summer that's coming off what we've got. Um, for the next few summers so we're still in the territory where we've really 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 got to get back in the champions league and we're really you know we've thrown a couple of shirts on the poker table and lost them and now we're throwing it now we're throwing the watch on um and that's that's got to work because if we're still in the europa league this time next year i mean pepe might turn around and say hey this wasn't what i was promised um and we're still left with the fee, which we'll have to pay off for the next five summers or so. So, you know, I, I think we can temper this a little bit and say that this is this is like still a gamble, probably a necessary one, um, but a gamble nonetheless. And we don't know how it's going to turn out yet. So sure. effectively, we'll, we'll see in the fullness of time. My only rejoinder to that, Tim, would be that they're all gambles. Right, I mean, yeah, yeah, of course. You spend the money or you don't, and if you do, you're not guaranteed results. But the spending of the money on someone who seems to be the right kind of profile, age, talent, fills a hole, fills a need, a need identified seemingly throughout the the club, from Raúl to Emery to Edu and beyond. Like, it seems like joined up thinking, and it seems like a real effort to not just chase our money in the Champions League, but to do it with purpose. Because, like, for example, this was always my argument with Zaha. 80 million on Zaha looks like 60 million on Aubameyang, looks like 50 million mm. on Lux. You know what I mean? Just another prime to late prime player that we're spending huge on, rolling the dice, trying to get back into the Champions League. Whereas Pepe, if we don't get into the Champions League, there's still a long term strategy with a player who's not even yeah. in his prime yet, right? Um, not yeah. to mention that. If you're trying to buy a Zaha who's already on 130 at Palace, you're putting him on 170 or 190. There's rumors we've got Pepe on 90, right? So, like, those kind of things just, to me, encourage me more that we're not just chasing our money, but that we're doing it in a way that has a a more long-term vision, especially when you combine that decision with the purchase of Saliba, who isn't even coming in this year, and Ganduzi last summer, and, you know, some of the players that we've identified really having an eye towards a longer-term future. Uh, yeah, but at the same time, um, I, th- I think, do we have to acknowledge that Zaha was the first choice um, and that perhaps they went for Pepe? I mean, it could be that they were kind of juggling both those balls and seeing which one dropped for them, but um, they wanted Zaha. They, they, that was a deal they wanted. I think we know that with, with quite, amount, uh, quite a large amount of certainty. So, you know, you, you're, it I think, well-founded. It might have actually been cheaper, though. I know we, we've gone with this, oh, they're the same money. But I'm not sure Palace. I don't think we ever believed Palace at the 80 million mark, did we? Whereas we we knew what it was for Pepe. So uh, yeah. I'd make an argument that maybe uh, we concluded shit. If we're actually going to have to pay this something like 80 million, uh, and we look at those two players, Pepe is the better long-term deal because yeah, we might have to sell him in a year or two if it doesn't work out. But we get that feedback with Zaha, yeah. you sell him in a year or two, he's severely depreciated, I would think. Of, of course, but 
but Arsenal still wanted that deal. Um, so sure. all of those reservations are still, they, they still wanted to press ahead of it. And um, actually, I think uh, this is a discussion for another time, I think, but as a wider point, I wonder, I tweeted about this the other day. I wonder with what's going on this summer and with the players, lots of big teams can't shift and we all know who they are. I wonder if um, we'll start to revisit what a player's prime years really are. And I wonder if mm. that, you know, because I think there's always been the kind of, well, 27 to 31 of the prime years. And I think maybe for like a defender that won't change. But I wonder if clubs will start to think specifically because of the financial context for a lot of them, they'll think, no, actually, maybe 24 to 28 is if not the prime, it's the prime time to buy them. Well, I was on with Mohammed for the Patreon pod, and he made that point very clear. He said, let's be honest, Zaha is in what should be considered late prime or, or certainly mid to late prime, and Pepe is entering it because statistically you see the decline starting around 29-30. Like it's, it's yeah, plain yeah. as day. So if you're seeing a decline at that point, it's hard to call that prime. Now, and by the way, that's not to say that there aren't players that can, um, through their sheer quality or the way they keep their body in shape or their work habits or whatever it is or their pure talent – can be an outlier to that, you know, can be an exception to that. Um, you know, and the, other, the only other thing I'll say on this point is, look, we may have wanted Zaha because early in the summer, we may have been told, you're not in the Pepe race. There are Champions League clubs that have bigger budgets that are in for him. So, you know, thanks, but no mm -hmm. thanks. It may literally be that once we realized Napoli was his destination and the other clubs had backed out, that the opening was there and and we appropriately moved our intentions. We'll see. I mean, Clive, I don't want to make this all about the, the money and the machinations in the market and, you know, Raul, because what's fun is we're getting closer to the football again. And, and that's really why we all do this, except me. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm in it for the transfers and the uh, financial analysis. But let's talk about the football, because I think this gives us so many options now. And, and I'm curious to get your take. If you had to look into your crystal ball, look into Emery's USB drive, how do you see... Emery deploying Pepe, and, and do you think that there is a predominant formation now that he will start to lean into or, or a way that he'll deploy those, those three supremely talented attackers that gets the most out of them? I think um, I still think he'll change formations. Uh, I know you don't want to hear that. But I'm okay I still with think it. He's going to. It'll be more fun if Pepe's on the pitch, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he can be on the pitch. Um, it's always going to depend, depend on where you're playing, who you're playing, what type of game it is. Um, one thing I will say, I do expect him to play a bit away from home. And I think that'll be where we'll see the biggest benefit. I think at home, we're, we're fine anyway with what we have. But if we away from home, if we can add a bit more transition speed, a bit more quality, accuracy, swagger, ball carrying, yeah, swagger. You know what it's like when you turn up with all the top boys away from home, and teams have to adjust you or they have to be wary of you. I felt teams went on the front foot against us a lot last year because they fancied out physically in us. They fancied they could outrun us in central and midfield, and they fancied they could press us. Our slower, more ponderous players that can't retain the ball under pressure. They could be pushed off it and transitioned on and ran away from, which exposed our back line that weren't really that solid. So I think it put a lot of pressure on our front two to score first and score early. If they didn't, it's very difficult. It's a draw or a loss for us. If we add more offensive quality that can, that can solve more problems on the pitch, I think that's going to make people adjust. It's going to stop them being so front-footed. I think we have to control the ball more. I think there'll be more game states we can play away from home and do more. If we can get, you know, just, just say five more away wins, you know, just just put that in your back pocket for a minute. That's transformational. 
and that changes everything, right? So I think that's the sort of thing I think we're going to actually see. A lot of that's dependent that, that's on... That's a lot of wins. <laughs> yeah. 15 well, more points well, from well, us. Well, yeah, I, I tell you what, I could... Well, not, don't, not I could. I bet Tim could name five games where we, we could easily have won with a little bit more talent on the pitch, right? So, because he was there, all of them, right? So that's the sort of thing we're talking about. We're not talking about big teams here. You know, we're talking about average teams that we've that we've you know drawn or lost to, even Old Trafford away. We we had them beat. We couldn't quite finish it off because we because we're stupid when we score. You know, there there are there are opportunities there that we that we really left on the table because we didn't have the quality. Southampton. I can't imagine this team going to Southampton losing again, right? If we have the right level of players on the pitch, but we managed to lose that game, right? So. These are sort of games that are out there for us to go and get. And right now, with the euphoria flooding around the fan base and the club, I don't expect to go to Southampton and lose again next year. You know, I don't expect to go to West Ham and lose again next year, or not lose with the with the lack of fight and all, and lack of anything. We went to West Ham, a game I still can't explain what actually happened there. Let alone some of the home games later in the season, which we all know about. But generally, the home form wasn't too bad. So I expect us to do more away from home. I am a little bit concerned about the... Like, I'm, I know, I wouldn't say concerned. If you want to pick it apart, if you want to find fault, which I'm not really interested in. Pepe's a player that played on transition a lot last year and Arsenal potentially could have the ball a lot. People are writing off certain players like Iwobi. I'm not. I still think for a lot of home games, Iwobi will be very important when teams are playing against low box, blocks. And I think Urza will be very important in home games. Because that's when it's, when it's not a fight, it's about picking someone's pocket. And I think home games against lower teams, I think those type of players will do really, really well. But it's the big games when it's a transition game with the spaces to run into. I think the players that we are picking in our first eleven right now, with those front three, I think that's when we could really make a big difference. And potentially away from home, if you're not losing to those top six teams away from home and potentially winning... Again, that's transformational in the top six league table, and that could really do something. So that's what I'm hoping for from a changing our fortunes point of view. Away day swagger, that's the number one thing I hope he brings. Yeah, and I mean, we've leaving defense aside for a minute, or forever, preferably. <laughs> Let's not talk about um, that. <laughs> you know, what we've done in a really savvy way is we've added qualities to each of the other departments that we're really lacking. I mean, I think Ceballos is going to go under the radar here because it's just a loan and he's not as exciting as Pepe and Pepe's our record transfer. But Ceballos adds some major qualities to midfield that we lacked. Ball progression with the ball at feet, elusiveness, tempo. I think he's someone who has the agility and, and body control with the ball at his feet that we've, that we've really missed. He can partner with really any of the midfielders we have. He adds depth there, so we're shielded from having to use guys like El Elneny, for example, um, or overextending Ganduzi. It's a huge addition. Now we've added the thing we really lacked in the front three, other than the two strikers, which is someone who can occupy wide spaces, who dribbles, and and delivers end product. And he does both those things. Now, obviously, we still have to do that in defense, but to be able to do those things with a budget that was quoted, you know, and forget the quoted $45 million because as, as Raul said, or Vinay said, whoever it was, I don't recognize this number. Maybe that never was the number, but it's really savvy business. And Paul, I'm... I'm I'm curious to get your take on how about not what you think will happen, but how you'd prefer to see Pepe deployed. I mean, one of the debates that we've had on this pod and happens online is the Obama Yang Lacazette debate. 
you know, I know that Clive likes Lacazette to play kind of a Firmino role, and maybe you could have Aubameyang and, and Pepe running the channels, running off the shoulder of, of Lacazette, which would be really exciting. Is there a formation for you that now gets the best of that trio, or do you think that Emery's going to have to be a little bit more pragmatic and maybe pick two from three? Uh, I think the latter. Uh, After our little uh, debate on Willock and how many starts he got uh, in in this upcoming season, and uh, we kind of went back and forward on that, I then went back and looked at the numbers of starts for people last year, and you, you look at the the squad this year and it's like just it's almost impossible to get Willock on the pitch for starts and you look at the front three of Laka, Alba and Pepe as as the big names who have to get most of the starts it it just doesn't leave anything for anybody else to play if they're playing most of the games. Obama Yang's made what 30 starts last year and six off the bench. Uh, Lacazette 27 starts and eight off the bench. And, you know, Pepe basically played every game for... Yeah, you'd have to figure he's on pace uh, for at least those numbers. So say another 30 there. That leaves you, what, among the three of them, hardly any starts. Yeah, it leaves about uh, eight starts for whoever their backup is. Uh, Now, Aubameyang is often Lacazette's backup, so maybe he can play a few less from the left, but he's still playing the same total number. So maybe Iwobi can get kind of 15 to 18. Mkhitaryan, if he's Pepe's backup, gets about 11. I mean, it's just it's just not enough to go around. So I think there'll be a lot of two from three, but I also think it means that the Europa League is not something where we're going to play the kids, unless you look at the kids being your Willocks, your... Uh, your Eddie and Caddy, you know, they they won't be digging past what we've seen in preseason. Yeah, because you and need Mkhitaryan on the alone. pitch. You need to get a Wobi on the pitch at some point, right? I mean, yeah, that's the and problem. You look at our midfielders. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, I don't think it's terrible because we'll be playing. I mean, Martinelli and Nelson, I thought were very good against Angers, uh, who were a very good side preparing for their final preseason game and they put in a good performance. I thought Martinelli and Nelson kind of proved a point. Um, I don't see them disappearing to the, to the under 23s. So they're kind of going on loan uh, or they're staying with the squad. And I think that means Europa league games. So we're going to have a very strong Europa league side with some youths, but mainly it's, it's this preseason squad i think would play both competitions uh fairly intensively because sabalas willock uh ganduzi Torreira, chaka etc are not going to get enough games uh and this, uh, i think pepe might play quite a bit europa league i mean it'll be his first season so maybe they can dial him back a little bit on the starts it'll be a little more physical than he's used to uh but i do think two from three and when I look at it, the place we're weakest if we play a four-two-three-one is in the ten spot because you got Ozil, and if he plays great this year, but I don't think we've seen a season uh, in recent times when he's been good away from home and good at home, and last year he was neither. So that's the one spot we got a bit of a hole there, where somebody could pick up extra minutes, but not those three: mm. Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Pepe. So. I don't know that 4-2-3-1 or something like that is what I assumed Emery would want to play this year. 
I just don't know who he's got for the 10 spot. Yeah, I'd just love a 4-3-3 and let Laka play false nine and let Oba and, and Pepe run off his shoulder in the channels. And then yeah, it works for this squad four three three. Yeah, and then let that's how you get the three on. And that's how you you put, get put, enough. Put Terrera at the base of the flying V with Sabalas yeah. and and Ganduzi on either side of them as sort of shuttlers, and and yep. and that's it. And it doesn't get you Ozil. And I'm sorry. And I, you know I'm I'm someone who hasn't given up on Ozil, but yep. just because we're paying him a huge wage doesn't mean we should shoehorn him into a squad that doesn't fit him. Um, and th- and that's really the thing, right, Tim? I mean. You, you always said this. We, we would debate who should be in an 11, and you said with Emery it's not an 11. But increasingly, this squad has players that are going to be favorites that everyone's going to feel should be up on the pitch. Last season it was, oh, we need Ozil out there and Ramsey out there and Oba out there and Locke out there. Like That's not changing anytime. Ramsey's gone, but like there's no way to get Pepe, Ozil, Oba, Laka, you know, on mm-hmm. the pitch in any way that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I you could do it in a... In a four-two-three-one, I don't think you get the most out of Aubameyang in that kind of a setup. But do you think that we're going to have to be very, very patient with the fact that there are going to be games where that favorite that we feel has to start, got to start, why isn't he starting, that, that there's just going to be a lot of rotation among some of the attacking options? Yeah, I think so. But I think... Um... Uh, to to use one of uh, one of Paul's favourite phrases, you know, everything's fixed by good results. P- people will tolerate it if the results are good. People, you know, we used to have Pires, Reyes, Lundberg, Carnu, Wiltord, Henri, Bergkamp in the same team, which meant at least three of them had to be on the bench at any one time. Um, and people tolerated it because we won. Um, it's it's that simple. So. Um, th- th- what you say is is quite true um and you do have to rotate and and that's why you know you don't want to just always like write players off and you know even Ozil um I kind of agree I I don't think he he really fits if I was picking like my fantasy 11 um but I bet you he'll play a lot of games next year there's there's always games there's always games for players there'll be a lot of players we don't like who will play who will play a significant amount of games that's just that's that's just the way it is like you know seasons are long and there's there's lots to play particularly with you know particularly now we're in the Europa League and it's a longer competition and we get further in it you know I I think maybe a lot of um I won't say ills covered but usually our European season is done by late February and that hasn't been the case for the last few years now um and, and you know I think that'll probably be the case again this year so you know, there's there's a lot of games to go around. We we had to buy we had to get Dennis Suarez on loan in January um, because we needed bodies um, up there. So I, I'm I'm not massively um, concerned about that, but I I do kind of like the sound of what you guys were just talking about the kind of four three three, like I you know the the way that front three could shape up, you know, quite Liverpool esque. Um, Really, and I, and I know we always do this thing where we look at teams that are playing well and we we kind of try and copy them. But I I do think that um you know potentially potentially you could have like you know Lacazette as the Firmino and Aubameyang and Pepe as the Salah and Mane um, types. Um, and when you look at how the Golden Boot went last season, you know Aubameyang, Salah, and Mane all shared it. You know not really playing center forward, any of them, um, not for a, like a sustained period of time anyway. So, um, you know, it, it gives us lots of options and we need options, particularly in those wide areas. We saw, 
we saw how Emery started the season, how he always wanted, you know, Iwobi and Mkhitaryan were big players for him. Um, and that kind of became less the case as the season went on. So I think we've got an idea of what he wants, that he wants those kind of, those wide players. And obviously we've, we've pushed really hard for, you know, both Saha and Pepe. Um, but, but yeah, absolutely. That's, that's just always going to be the case. Like some, some favorites are going to have to, you know, have, have to sit on the bench occasionally. And, and mm. I, and I think people will be fine with that if the team is cogent and it works um, and and the results are there. Yeah, and I will say this. You know, Ganduzi played a ton last season, and I think it was just yep. one of those situations where maybe he was a player that Emery knew about from his time at PSG because he had been there as well. I mean, I don't know if they'd overlapped or not, but he certainly would have known about him in France, and you know, he something he liked about him. Maybe it was something he saw in preseason, but for whatever reason, Ganduzi did just play a lot. And I think when Emery had players that he really preferred, you could tell because he used them a lot. Mm. Emery clearly wanted, from what we're told, a guy who could dribble, a, a wide player who could dribble and, and add some some uh, versatility to the way we attack. And so I expect that Pepe will play a ton because I get the sense that yep. this wasn't just a Raul move. I mean, maybe Emery yeah. preferred Zaha, maybe he didn't, but this is a kind of player that I think Emery really wanted and I expect that he's going to use him a lot. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, yeah, I mean, you, you pay that much money, of course. But I mean, I, I don't think that's just an Emery thing either. I mean, I think anyone watching this Arsenal team last season would have said, my word, we need like a winger or someone who can carry the ball a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think by process of elimination, Pepe, Pepe is the one who, unless he really bombs, I think he's, he's got the safest place in that front three, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely think so. I, and Clive, I just want to get sort of an emotional take from you for a second. I know that's m- more my thing. <laughs> but um, at the end of last season, the way our, our season collapsed, and not just in Baku, but in the league in particular, it wasn't just the disappointment. It was that the football had become really drab and unenjoyable. Um, I remember feeling, and I may have even said it on this pod going into the summer, that I just struggled to want to watch this again. At when And this happens at the end of seasons a lot, right? You've just watched a ton of Arsenal. If the season ended in a disappointing fashion, you're ready for a break too. And preseason can often get you excited even if nothing changes. But I was not excited to watch last season all over again. And it was, it was the kids this summer that really lifted your expectations and your hopes and your excitement level, if anything. But Pepe has transformed that for me. Now I've gone almost overnight from being like, eh, here we go, another season, to can't wait. Like, can't wait to watch it. And it's, an, it's a level of energy for the fan base that I don't think you get if you go out and you buy a, a Maguire. I mean, maybe you go out and spend $80 million on Maguire and you're like, well, I guess we're a little better defensively. But you're not pounding on the table saying, I can't wait to watch this. Has the Pepe arrival sort of reinvigorated your interest in this season and your excitement for what the ceiling for this Arsenal team is? I think you you may have wasted that question on on the wrong person. I think um, because <laughs> you wanted Harry Maguire. <laughs> uh, no, because I I wasn't I, I was not really in that place in the last season. I was more disappointed at the derailment, and I was more disappointed at the fact that mentally we couldn't go after the opportunity that was put in front of us. And as people then started to reach out to understand the reason why, and they started to point the fingers, and that's when I sort of said, well, you know what. I'm not. I'm not listening because I think he. I think we dragged ourselves to the point where we should have qualified for top four. We managed to blow it. And we managed to blow it because we got some mentally weak 
play when you like players are on too much money and they need to be rooted out. And that was my conclusion. Um, some people pointed at the manager and his style. I didn't. I felt that he was trying to manipulate the squad into something that was working and it just fell away. And a, a lot of it fell away after Aaron Ramsey got injured, actually. And I hope that wouldn't be the point at the moment. There were three players that could perform that Ramsey role, including Ramsey, and it was Mkhitaryan and Ozil. And when Ramsey went out, the other two should have stepped up when they disappeared on the face of the earth. So things like that really bothered me. Right? But, so, but their bank accounts kept filling up, so it's going to be okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Under the mattress, is pretty well tucked up and full, right? So, which is great. So for me, and the whole thing was all about was all about change and the emotional journey of change. And the changes continued this summer. And we're starting to see something else, which I didn't think we would see. I didn't, I don't know Raul well enough. I only know Emery from PSG. So for me, 4-3-3 Emery, that's all I know from PSG really and the flying V he had then, I loved it. So I've always thought he wanted to get back to that. So I'm hoping he does want to get back to that. I'm not really a 4-2-3-1 fan unless we're at home. When we're dominating, we can dominate four forwards. But 4-3-3 is an adult's setup. That's what top teams are playing. That's what we need to get to. And we can actually see that formation in our head with the right players. And certain players don't fit that. And they'll be developed out of the team. So I am excited by the kids. I'm, I'm normally I'm overexcited by the younger players coming through. I am excited about the new, younger dynamic within the team. You know, We've all asked for that. But I've, I'm, I've always been one talking about our lack of drive athleticism and transition and the ability to to go with different game states when the game becomes more intense i feel more comfortable with that after seeing players like Guendouzi and joe willock on, on sunday with my eyes just wondering watching them mature it's just it's just wonderful and that's just both for 19 20 in one or two years time what will we have on our hands no wonder Arsenal are up in Guendouzi's contract because they can see the future Right, he's striding about like he owns a place. Yep, he's going he's gonna to be a superstar, in my opinion. So, um, so this type of thing does make me excited. I think projection is is the fun, right? It's always trying to see where someone lands, and you get surprised, like a Joe Willock. You get a player like Pepe coming who can do all the things he can do. But I will say that if we were to sign a top centre half right now, I reckon the excitement levels would be quite close to Pepe because now you're talking about completing the team. And I think then we'd be taken a lot more seriously. I mean, I'm not sure if that, I'm not sure which centre half that would be. I'm not sure if there's one out there that'll make us all get excited and, and and lose our minds. But I think from a completeness point of view, that player would make us all look very seriously at the year. It'd make other teams look more seriously at us because the holes would not be so so obvious. So, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, Pepe, we're, we're romantics, aren't we? So Pepe obviously does exactly what it what it says on the tin, and um, yeah. I'm just I'm just glad that we're behaving like a big you know, club. That's what I'm really glad about. You know, I, I'm really glad that we're not looking like an absolute to use one of your phrase dumpster fire. Yeah, just a just a <laughs> joke, just a joke club that gets ripped off well, by agents, and I'm just sick of that. I'm sick of being ridiculed and. I mean, it looks like we're back to being a professional club again. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I'm in a WhatsApp chat um, with two particularly doomy uh, gentlemen who you may be able to tell who they are from context. It's none of you fine, fine gentlemen here. But I think that the the ennui that had developed within that chat, like we weren't even talking about Arsenal that much. We were, we were talking about what the issues are. And, 
it flowed from leadership, it flowed from ownership, and it was this sense that Arsenal don't care. That Arsenal don't care to get better, so this is where we are now. Hoping for variance, hoping to maybe crawl into the top four, but no one's going to push the boat out. And like, this repudiates that assumption in a big way for me. This says we want the fans off their seats. We want we want excitement. We want a full Emirates Stadium. We want to be a draw. We we still want to be a place as you talk about, Clive, being the employer of choice. We want players to want to come to Arsenal and be a part of what we're creating. And I think a Pepe does so much of that. Excitement for fans, a draw for other players, a reminder that no, we still think of ourselves as a Champions League club. We're gonna act that way. We're gonna get back in there, we're gonna get back to the top of the league. A little bit of patience, as Raul said earlier this summer, because this is a project that's going to result in real forward momentum. And I I applaud them for what they've done this summer, from Martinelli to Ceballos to Saliba to Pepe. I mean, there's a lot of good business being done here. I mean, obviously, the defense is an issue. We'll talk about that in just a moment, because we, we can talk a little about the Angers game and, and some takeaways from that. Yeah, yeah you want to jump back in? Sure, th- please. Sorry, mate. Just one more thing. I just think this is all just an old byproduct of the emotional journey of the change cycle. As we were coming out last season, there was a lot of skepticism about what we were. And even the the we care, do you thing is a bit of really saying, how much do you care? Are we trusting you? But then you go into like the, the action phase, they call it. Right? And we're in that phase right now. And we were doubtful we were going to get there. And now we've seen some action. And what we're hoping for is the action to continue. And what we're worried about is what they call the relapse phase. Will we relapse back into old behaviours? And this is what concerns me a little bit, that we won't quite finish the job and we'll overburden certain players in our defence and hope we're going to get through it. And I hope we continue with the action because we're not quite complete. And if we do if we do complete this, I'm, not, I'm just talking about the pragmatic players we know we need. You know, all the listeners know what we need. There's no point in saying it. If we add it, complete it, and then do our best to get rid of some of the deadwood using our new agent contact, I think, you know what, that will start to go to the next phase, which is realistic optimism about what the season will be ahead. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, no, well said. Paul, you want to add to that? Yeah, just quickly, I thought you gave a really good list of the things they, they're they responding to in terms of excitement and, and, and making this club a factor again. But I think it all flows from maybe the one conversation you can definitely imagine them having, which is sitting down, Raul sitting down with Emery and saying, okay, Emery, uh, second year, we said we'd back you. You need us to get us back into the Champions League. What do you need? And he goes down the list of exactly what he needs. And so going into this season, Raul's job is to send him off at the end of this preseason with the players at the level that he required. So I think that's the core statement here. Uh, Emery has defined what he needs to play his kind of football to get us back into Champions League. And I don't think we saw that last year. I mean, it's fair to beat him up on, on, on underperforming with the squad he had, but it wasn't truly his squad. So this will be a no excuses year for him because it's quite clear that the conversation was, what do you need? Because we need to get back in the Champions League. And that's the fundamental excitement from all of this. They're deadly serious about getting back into the Champions League, not just buying a player for excitement, etc. I I think they would have quite happily bought some unexciting players cheaply if it was what was required to get us back to the required level. Yeah, That's just a side effect of needing a Zaha or a Pepe or, or a guy who can 
get on the pitch, on the wing, and be a difference maker and a game changer. And he needs a, a full back. He needs a center back of reasonable quality, but not not necessarily a star because that's that's not his second season with us. And he needed a really top quality technical midfielder and they said how do we get this done well we'll buy a couple and we'll loan one maybe two depending on the center back um to give you what you need to go into this year to get us into the champions league and it feels like it's actually doable yeah and by the way like people hate the word process because it's such a some people see it as a cop-out some people see it as a very corporatist word but like it is a process the expectation that we should go from where we were to being title contenders overnight is absurd. It's not going to happen. There are two teams in particular that are far, far superior to us, and we have to close that gap. And it doesn't have to be closed in a single window. Doing a lot this window to get us incrementally better, to get us back into the top four, to get us more consistently producing the kind of performances that we should so that our underlying metrics align with our results, and then... Now we're back in the Champions League, and now we're a little closer to those other teams, and maybe their cycle is ending, and now maybe the process continues. And we, we reach a crescendo with that process at a time when the others are at the end of their cycle, and that's how you intelligently and over a period of time build your team to being able to compete for the Premier League and, God forbid, even the Champions League. But, you know, that'll all be uh, moot because it'll be the U- European Super League by then. Um, Tim, putting that miserable concept aside momentarily... <laughs> I want to ask you just a quick uh, ancillary question, very, very quick, and then we'll talk a little about the Angier game and some concerns about defense. Um, Do you have any misgiving about the way we've had to go about getting this done? There's rumors that we basically, you know, gave a bong off to uh, Jorge (laughs) Mendez to, like, help us get it done. A lot of sort of tomfoolery with agents and things like that. How do you feel about us swimming with the Sharks to, to get this kind of business done? It's it's just another one of those things that feels bad the first couple of times you do it, and then you know, like it, sex, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, like that. Uh, <laughs> no, wait, n- not for everybody but, else. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, the first time you and I did it, anyway. Um, oh dear, but, oh my, <laughs> Tim, Tim, but, I will survive. <laughs> but um. Anyway, moving quickly on. <laughs> quickly on, yes, thank you. It's, 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 it's probably like one of those things like when shirt sponsorship first turned up in the 80s and everyone was like, you can't sponsor my shirt, and then you kind of get used to it. And now it's like, how much do we get for the shirt sponsorship? And like, <laughs> you know, you sponsor the stadium and you're like, how can you sponsor my precious stadium? And now it's like, why aren't you getting more money for the sponsor? You know, it's just one of those things that, yeah, if it feels a bit, unseemly the first few times you do it but you you just you have to it's as simple as that like whether you like it or not um you know that really the only answer to that question is just to like deconstruct and abandon capitalism altogether that that really is the only like answer to that um otherwise yeah you just you basically your choices are do it or get left behind. And if you're if your kind of feeling is I'd rather be left behind and not do it, that's fine. But I mean, you should understand why Arsenal aren't going to do that. Yeah. Um, so then let me ask you. I mean, obviously, it's it's become a meme. It's become a joke, and it's understandable why the, the defense is bad. Like it's genuinely bad. Um, 
Now, look, Holding will eventually be back. That improves it. Bellerin coming back, I think, is massively important. Cannot be overstated the importance of getting Bellerin back, and especially when you consider what a Pepe and Bellerin wing on the right can add to a team that had such a tremendous left-side bias and got virtually nothing from the right side last season. But, well, first of all, just super quick, do you anticipate that we'll bring anyone in in defense before the end of the window? Um, excluding Tierney, you mean like a centre-half? So you think Tierney will happen? I've heard it said like yeah. it's a done deal. I mean, I, we've spent all summer chasing him. We just spunked 80 million. I mean, you, you definitely think that'll happen? I, I do think that will happen, yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of tend to think with that, but because Tierney's injured anyway, it's not like he'd be playing games and integrating himself. So Arsenal are, are kind of dragging it out a bit on purpose. I, I do think that will get done. Okay. Maybe, maybe even last minute, but I think it'll be done, yeah. But I, I, I gather you're asking about centre-back. Yeah, I mean, what, um, oh boy, if, if only Koscielny hadn't gone on strike. Because, I mean, I'm not saying Koscielny isn't well past it, but adding Koscielny to this mix gives you at least a modicum of hope. Yeah, so I think it will happen if we shift one of Koscielny or Mustafi for money. Um, then then I think it will definitely happen, but I don't think it will happen unless that goes through. And, you know, there's only six days left. But, you know, you're looking at the market now and everything's happening now, right? Because it's the last week. Um, and that's, you know, that's just natural. That's when stuff gets done. I I think it's 50-50. I really do. I think it's coin toss stuff. But I think the fact that they are clearly actively, you know, they're having the conversations about Koscielny now. They're actively trying to shift Mustafi. I think they definitely want to do it. But I think they know, um, you know, they've they've just got like a pretty pretty penny for Bierlich, you know, nearly 10 million. That's that's a really good price, I think, for someone that never played a first-team game for us. So that's that's like a little bit more in the kitty. But I, I think they're probably in. We have to shift before we can get anyone. And um, that, to be fair, that might not... Because, you know, the uh, clubs from abroad can buy off of us up until the 31st if they've got a reasonable inkling that they could, you know, manage... Mustafi or Koscielny out of the door I, th- I think they might go for something maybe on loan um, but I, I think they'll be really busy with that yeah well fingers crossed so Clive I mean that leaves you looking into the squad and the Angers game you know while a fun little training exercise and a good chance for the kids to play a little more and maybe a little wake-up yeah. call for the kids to, I mean it was it was the game that felt the most preseasony to me if you take my meaning like it just wasn't a lot going on I think at Angers who was fairly tuned up, ready for their season to start, and reasonably high intensity, and Arsenal were sort of jogging around the pitch a little bit. Um, the one guy that stands out, you cannot watch that team without your eyes just naturally going to Medley because he is a physical specimen of, of impressive quality. I mean, he's ju- he looks like someone who's going to be a dominant center back. Unfortunately, he does not yet play like that, and I, I'm not sure how he's thought of at the academy level, but you look at him and positioning, not great, passing maybe worse um it's a shame because gosh if he looked even close you could get really excited about a player with that physicality but i I take it you would agree with me that medley and again not killing the kid give him time he's super young for center back i'm just saying does not look like he is ready to be given the responsibility to come into an already weak defense and and tighten it up so how did you feel about any of the defenders in particular medley that you saw against angers uh yeah i had a bit of a not a a down on Medley, but I do, I just think people are just getting overexcited, and he's one of those young players. I think we got him from Chelsea actually. Um, 
we, we did take a few from their back door they threw away it always concerns me that Eddie seems to be turning out but um, I'm over Chelsea or Man City I'm not sure which one but um, between you but and Tim constantly mentioning the back door this I pot is getting really Chelsea. weird Okay. Yes, it was Chelsea. <laughs> it is Chelsea. Thank you. Thank you. Paul trying to rescue um, me with some actual football information. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Paul, for getting some back, getting us back. So basically, for me, he's he's almost too tall. You know, he hasn't got a centre. He needs to get a lot more core strength. People say he's physical. What they really say is he's tall and leggy. That doesn't Good mean point. that you're yeah. centred. Yeah, that's right. That doesn't mean that you're centred and you and that he can't be moved off the ball. He can be moved off the ball. He hasn't got the. He hasn't got the man strength yet. He's just, he's just a boy in a very tall body. He's and he needs... grown six inches, Clive, in the last two years. Yeah. He's, it's probably a shock just to him to how he's supposed to play. Exactly. I'm, I'm, if it's I'm, bothering I'm, him, I'll take a few of those inches off him. <laughs> I tell you. Uh... I've done, <laughs> I've done a... <laughs> Jesus. I've done a lot of, of you know, done a lot of youth coaching. I've watched, I've watched people shoot up and grow and literally can't run get knee injuries, just can't literally put one foot in the other. They go for the Bambi phase. And he's going for the Bambi phase. He's grown quickly and he's still growing into his body. He's got no solidity, no core. He's just a very tall, fit, physical, in good shape, lefty centre-back. Now, lefty centre-backs are quite precious. When you find one, you keep it and you develop it. He will just need to go somewhere and play League One football and really get his eyebrows cut a few times and put some weight, get in the gym and put put some weight on and, and turn into, he's got to decide, you know, look at someone like Tyrone Mings and say, that's where I want to be. So I need to put some weight on to be like him. He's a, he's a tall lefty, that's very strong, but he's, he's developed physically. When he went to Bournemouth, he struggled. When he went to Premier League, I think he had two cruciates, bad injuries because he couldn't manage his body and now he's gone bound down to Villa. Now he's a twenty-five million pound player, but he's just got himself to be a Premier League player now. Development is all different, and we look at him with hopeful eyes because we know we need a centre back. But he's not the one. The one that impressed me actually was the left back, Dominic Thompson. Yeah, thought, he looked like a star. I and the funny thing is, I literally was like, "What's a Thompson?" And then, and then there, <laughs> so, there he was, looking really good. So this is how football can change really quickly, right? So he's had very few chances. And this is what this is what I love about youth development academy football. Been at Arsenal for years. He's had not much time. He's been there's not been many youth left backs coming through. We've been we've been looking and looking and looking and waiting and waiting. He gets one or two chances, just a couple of chances preseason. And I thought he impressed. I thought he showed enough in this game. But what could that mean? I'll tell you what that could mean for the future, right? He could go on loan this year. Just go away, go and play, have one year away playing football, learning about the game, getting experience. You can come back in one year's time and Monreal and Kalashnik have gone. And he's now number two left back behind Kieran Tierney at a, at a top six club. That's how your life can change if you take your opportunity. And I, I hope someone in the club is going to do that. Send him out on loan. Make sure he plays while we have the two other experienced guys. He's not needed at our club. But in one year's time, he could be the Bielik that we actually do bring back in. And suddenly we have two left-backs who are strong, progressive, with a lot, a lot of experience. I'm, I'm, I'm wish-casting here that Tierney actually comes. And so then that changes. Tim promised things. us. It's fine. You're good. Yeah. And, and that's how things can change. Right? So for me, he was the one that really stood out um, because I think that's a new player that potentially in 18 months' time 
could be in the first team as a true first team squad member, which is what it's all about. I agree. And I think it is the fun because also, again, I, and I, I heard Andrew say this, and you guys talked a little bit about Willock on the Arscast. Like, he was the one who didn't, wasn't really the eye catching one of this crop, you know, between Nelson and Nkedia and maybe Saka to a certain extent, who's a little behind them. But he's the yeah. eye-catching one now, and the way they develop physically and their their skill set and their burst, and the, when it when it snaps into place for them psychologically, mentally, you know, all of a sudden they can go bursting by their academy teammates because there's so much change at that age. So you don't know where these players are going to be in a year or two, and and maybe he's a guy that we're really excited about in the not too distant future. Paul, one guy that we are not going to be excited about because he doesn't play for us anymore is Jeffrey and Adelaide. But I was just curious, really quickly, watching him. You know, he he flashed some of the skills that made him a, a preseason superstar for us. It is just preseason, and and we have moved on from him. But did you get any of the feels watching him and think, you know, maybe that's a guy who could have had a, a little more chance at our club? Mm, maybe it was marginal. I think the problem for a lot of these players is being goodish at a particular age, but not great, so that they don't make the decision easy enough for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was good in this game. I thought he did. Um, the first time I watched it, I thought he was okay. But actually, when I looked through it, a lot of the problems came through him charging through our midfield and giving us a challenge. Um, that uh, what was the guy's El Malali as well. He's uh, he was the live wire they had uh, over on the right wing. Those were kind of the two players who really took it to us. Um, El Malali is pretty young. He's like twenty three or something. So I guess. We had a good look at him in this game. Maybe we'll be back for him uh, at another time. But he, he was a problem all through the game. If he always plays like that, he might be one to watch. But I thought Jeff was was pretty good in this. But he also showed a little bit of why he fell off with us in that he wasn't there to be end product. But he was good at charging through the midfield, didn't do too much when he got to the box or, you know, he kind of ran out of space, overplayed the ball, etc. So he's goodish, um, but didn't seem to be the difference maker. So at least we didn't go home crying about it. Um, and, you know, I think our first half we were, they were clearly the stronger team and we had the kids on. But I think all the kids pretty much apart from, as you mentioned, Medley, I think, was was kind of a bit patchy, especially with his passing. Everybody else actually had a reasonable game. They were just up against a good team. So I think there's lots of good, good to come out of it. And I think the work rate that Martinelli and Nelson put in was particularly impressive and potentially useful. And uh, Eddie just didn't see too much of the ball, but he, he had a little more impact early in the second half. Um, and Willock, every time he plays... Now, that, that's the beauty of him. As you said, he's kind of a, he, he wasn't really on the radar to begin with. The commentator for the match made an interesting point. It wasn't until Willock's brother, I think, isn't it Chris was the older brother, uh, left ahead of him that Joe kind of, maybe it's it's that the family sequence and having your older brother leave allowed it, allowed Joe a little bit more space to be the man at Arsenal and to step up. So maybe it's just coincidence, but there's a nice little bit of uh, pop psychology there. And he's just, every time he plays now, he's 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 got the power and the strength and uh, the control and the poise. And he's just, he's got balls as well when he gets into the, the box. And so if you had to 
you know, it's not hard to pick between Willock and Jeff Rayner Adelaide, is, I guess, is my basic point uh, when they're on the pitch. So I'm okay with it. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it too. <laughs> uh, Tim, we're, we're approaching the end of the preseason, and the one thing that I think is always interesting is looking ahead to how the timing of the preseason for some of these players impacts the season they go on to have. And, mm. you know, last summer it was clearly Matteo Genduzzi who benefited from a full preseason with a new coach. They, they obviously connected uh, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, footballistically, and, and he played a lot. Um, Lucas Torreira, who arrived late and was a new signing, had to take some time to get integrated. And, and to be fair, once he was integrated, played quite a lot. But I'm curious to get your take on how, if you had to predict a guy who was very involved this summer who might go on to be more involved than we think, or maybe alternatively, a guy who, due to hardly factoring for us this summer, might struggle to get in the team, whether that's a, a Torreira or an Iwobi or someone like that. Yeah, I, I think Iwobi is um, is the one who is probably looking at this summer and thinking, um, right, I've... I've I've got some work to do, um, you know, although, you know, Pepe was at the African nations as well, um, albeit I think not quite as long. Um, but yeah, for him, that's, that, that's absolutely not ideal. We've, we've kind of, we've signed a winger and he's had no part in preseason, um, and isn't back training. So, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's not really going to be playing until September, um, and we got some big games in August as well. We got Liverpool, we got Spurs, and you know we we mentioned on the last pod what happened to Gilberto. But there, there's a, there's quite a big history um, of this kind of thing happening. Even Alexis, the year that um, Chile won the the Copa America in 2015, you know by November I think Alexis's hamstring went pop, um, and we lost him for two and a half months and. You know, it's never it's never quite ideal. I think it's slightly different in maybe a World Cup summer where more of the players are away um, and kind of there's almost like a bit of an equalisation. Whereas with the Copa America and the African nations, some teams are just um, disproportionately affected by them. It used to happen to Chelsea a lot when they had Mikel, when they had uh, Essien, when they had Drogba, when they had Kalou. You know, they used to lose like four players every African nations and, and it used to affect them um, quite a bit. And, and you know, look, I'm, I'm not saying the fact that Iwobi, El Nenny and Torreira are back late is going to be, you know, a big disaster for Arsenal. But but Torreira as well, he might be another one. We, we have signed a midfielder this summer in Ceballos who can play in one of those deeper positions. Um, so, you know, he, he it, it's not ideal for him either, just like the World Cup wasn't last time round he's got another you know where he's been to copper america there's another copper america next summer um so you know like for terrera that's that's not great um but I, I was thinking about this earlier like you know how quickly players come back now you know when they're international tournaments and stuff like that like they're back after three weeks and you think like three weeks is nothing like that you know that is literally enough time to go on holiday and come back and then you're training again it's it's um you know it's almost become like an office job in terms of the amount of time you're you're actually spending working and and the physical toll that must take okay. um is can I, yeah. can I add a little bit out here? I think yeah yeah sure at the t- at the top level athleticism wise you can't take off much more than that no. you drop off you drop off so much i think 
most of the time they take off is for the the mental stress. That's the that's yeah, yeah. the thing. They really and don't do. get me wrong, like I know they they all go for a jog, you know, on the like it's not like you know even the 1990s they're not like sinking six pints and having a fish and chips like they'll they'll be doing you know they'll be doing stretching they'll be going for a run and stuff they have, like they have, that they have a summer program complete summer yeah program, yeah and they they'll get weighed the when they come I, back i volunteer as tribute to sink the pints and eat the fish and chips who came back after just a couple of weeks off and was straight in there mentally as much as physically, yeah. so. But, well, let me ask this though, Tim. I mean, because I I do think there's an issue with that, and I know you're you're fighting three people now to finish your point, but um, <laughs> it's just that like, Torreira did fade at the back half of last season, and and there were yeah. comments from his side saying that it was a lot of football, and and he maybe got a little bit fatigued, and we certainly saw the toll it's taken on Alexis for God's sakes to be playing nonstop every summer and all season. I mean, I get Clive's point that that's the most you can take off or risk losing your sharpness, but what's the risk of of fading badly in the second half of seasons as well? Yeah, th- this is another reason um, to to kind of back up my earlier point why I think players' peak year, the concept of a player's peak years might be revisited um, because you know because of that exactly because they don't have like a two months off anymore like they you know it's it's a couple of weeks and then they're flying off around the world and and things like that you know it's 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 all year round and it doesn't stop and it's going to get bigger because you've got this like massive club world cup on the horizon and I think you know either we're going to get a super league or the European competitions are going to expand even more. So this is just going to become more and more and more and more. Um, I, I think there is a chance of that, but then you look at, look at Spurs last year, like Spurs had the most amount of players who went like all the way, um, you know, in the last four of the world cup and they sustained it and got to the Champions League final. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and they play. They started every. I remember they played their first game away at Newcastle and they started everyone. They played Kane. They play, You know they played yeah. everyone who played in the World Cup like third place playoff like you know four or five weeks earlier. And it's you know it's 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 insane really. Um, they but, didn't finish the league season particularly strong, did no, they? No, true. But I, <laughs> I, mean, I wonder if you know. <laughs> that was more to do with the Champions League than yeah, maybe. Than, than anything else. And, and, you know, maybe the fact that Harry Kane keeps picking up these ankle injuries because he's got like a bit of a weakness there. But, um, yeah, I, I, the, the thing is, though, I just think this is a reality for all footballers. And this will be, um, be a relative thing. Um, you know, this will just be like they're all kind of going through it together. Um, and so it it won't be an issue at the top clubs that will particularly disadvantage anyone. Yeah, no, that that's actually a really good point, a really fair point. I, I think it it is interesting because we definitely saw last season in particular. I'm, I'm probably missing examples that undermine my argument, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's the end of the pod and maybe people are tuning me out now. Um, I do think we saw last summer that Emery really did prefer to lean on the players that he had in the summer and... You know, I, I wonder if we'll see some of that again this season. It, it'll be interesting. Look, there's there's not a lot of time left. It's coming up. It, it really is coming up. Clive, I'll let you have the last word. I mean, I know Willick is a guy that you've fallen for this summer, and I have as well, but the competition is intense, and the one thing I'm looking at now with Pepe arriving and Ceballos on loan, I don't know that there's the room for the young players who were so electrifying this summer and who got me so excited for the upcoming season thinking, eh, it might be a boring top four chase, but we'll get to see Nelson and Kedia, uh, Willick, maybe a little bit of Saka, Martinelli. 
I'm skeptical that those guys are going to make much of an impact again this season. Um, for you, are you maybe slightly... I mean, you're never disappointed to have great players at Arsenal, but are you maybe slightly disappointed for these guys that, that it now looks like their path might be a little more blocked than we would have thought? No, because I, I tell you what, they for the younger players, they're happy we're in the Europa League. I tell you, because they will be trusted in the Europa well, League. Well, we'll see. Because, we'll see, because they weren't necessarily trusted so much last season. But you know the reasons why, Elliot. Right? The manager's first year, he wanted to make sure that he bonded that team together. I, I bet you there will not be the same level of senior players going away for some of the Europa League ties this year. I sure hope you're right. He, he, because he's now got the young players who are better than they were a year ago. They're, they're, they're one year on development-wise, and they can be trusted to play in these games. I felt there wasn't the same level from the, from the year before, and we didn't have the same level of fringe players. We had Giroud, we had Walcott, we had Wilshire, and they could carry the younger players the year before. Some of our, I just felt there wasn't those players around. We lost a few of them, you know, Oxay Chamberlain. We lost a few, and we lost that level of, we had to bring the senior players, maybe not as many of you as we did, but I, I know the reasons why I understood it. I expect this year uh, the younger players have a lot more responsibility in those earlier rounds. The League Cup games, they definitely will have responsibility in those, in those games. So I think there will be opportunities to play until Christmas. And when Christmas comes, I think it will change. And I think they need to go out alone. So I'm not worried, and I'm not worried about any of them. Play better, get in the team. That's what it's all about. It's not a crash. Get in the team. And if you don't play well, to sit on the bench and watch it next to me. Yeah, right? it's similar. It's simple as that. That's the way football is. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm just not worried. I'm, I'm more worried about lack of dangerous attitudes because you select yourself and you play when you like. That bothers me a lot more than having intense competition because we've got very good players. That's only going to benefit the watching public, which that's why I care about more anything. Yeah, of course. I mean, at the end of the day, while I would love to see these these academy kids uh, succeed and star in the first team and go on to have big careers at Arsenal, I want to see Arsenal win and have great players in the team. And if it doesn't wind up being academy players, but it winds up being an 80 million pound Nicolas Pepe, like... I can live with that, too. Let's leave it there. A couple of things real quick. We are giving away two Arsenal shirts, and uh, the reveal will be during our preseason season pre season preview. That's the one. Season preview pod coming up just before uh, you'll never get this. The season starts, so you'll want to wait for that. So, yeah, get get online, arsenalvisionpodcast.com. You'll see a banner right across the top that tells you you can enter to win one of two uh, shirts we're giving away. Your choice, home or away. I would say third shirt, but apparently they're not ever releasing that ever like what season's about to start guys let us buy the third shirt um so yeah we're, we're doing that and then uh we've got some new patreon content content coming out on the other side of the weekend and for those of you who have signed up recently i hope you get in the discord uh, i will give giant gooner matt at giant gooner a huge uh thank you for the the data he's posting in there these past sonars he's putting there i don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at them yet but they're great fascinating stuff. they show the the <laughs> distance angle length volume of passing we do from every zone of the pitch it just helps me assimilate all this information that i can use to deliver hot takes that are super inaccurate so it's wonderful it's like um, an lsd trip i have no idea what's going on with them but they're but beautiful man, they're to look at yeah. beautiful exactly paul's on twitter pause with my pants thanks pause Woo-hoo. tim's on twitter at soberto thanks tim my pleasure as always. We can try doing that thing you referenced earlier again sometime. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. You bet. We need to get out of here, guys. Uh, my name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review right now. Nasty things Clive, about the song. Sir. We will survive. <laughs>
As long as we've got Nicola Pepe, I know that we'll be all right. But you know what? Hey, I'm going to steal something. So I have to admit, on Twitter, I was contacted. I will get his handle, and I will reference it in the next pod. He said my outro should no longer be Arsenal 10, the opposition nil. It should be Arsenal 10, the opposition 9, which I think is kind of clever. So we'll see. Uh, I'll roll it around in my head a bit and see if we want to do that for this season. But in the meantime, we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Barcelona nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.